Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Razorback fans, welcome to another episode of the Hog Talk Podcast. This is Jacob Davis, your host for Monday. With me today is Kyle Sutherland, one of our newest members of the Hog Talk team. This is episode 71, and we're going to talk about the Hog basketball and baseball losses this weekend, the emergence of Desi Sills, and what his impact has been on the Razorback basketball team. We're also going to talk about Casey Martin and Mason Jones leaving a mark on the SEC. Also, we want to mention Hyman Services. With spring on the way and home improvements to slay, Corey Hyman and his handyman at Hyman Services are ready for the task at hand to prepare your home for the upcoming season. They offer all kinds of services, including home building, mowing, weed eating, edging, clean or haul off of your home and office, landscaping, power washing, home remodeling, tree stumps, and more. Give Corey a call today at 479-347-9337. That's Heinemann Services in Northwest Arkansas. I want to encourage you today to tune in after the segment with Kyle and I as Porter Hayes has Jordan Weber, the gymnastics head coach of the University of Arkansas. She will be on later in the second segment. Hope you enjoy today's show and go Hogs! Razorback fans, welcome to the Hog Talk Podcast. This is episode number 71. I am your host, Jacob Davis, and with me is Kyle Sutherland. Man, how you doing today? Glad to have you on. Man, it's good to be on. It's definitely not the greatest weekend for Razorback fans. You can thank track and field for at least picking up some of the slack, the the, the devastation that we've had. But as we're recording, they still got the Baylor game in the next couple of hours, so they, they got a chance to pick up a W before they head back to Fayetteville from Houston. Yeah, they definitely have uh, time to redeem themselves uh, leaving Houston. And, and that, and then you go and you look at the basketball team, and, and more more than anything, hogs gonna hog. Like, like uh, Pinto says on Twitter, Arkansas really struggled early on. Whether uh, it was with with Anthony Edwards or or the uh, other guy, I can't remember what his name was. I didn't write it down for the life of me. I can't remember his name, but he had 14 points in 10 minutes. I mean, he was lighting Arkansas up, and and Arkansas started behind 14 to nothing, and and you just looked, you're thinking, okay, yeah, we may come back, and Arkansas really made a game out of it. What were your impressions of the game there, Kyle? Well, this is something that we've seen a lot this year, of course. Against Tennessee, they get off to a really hot start, and Tennessee does begin to make a run, but they were able to close it out. But with Georgia, they started off on a 9-0 run. The Razorbacks just couldn't hit a basket. There was just a lid on the rim. And, and Rayshon Hammond's the guy you were talking about. Between him, Anthony Edwards, just just a stat that is really hard to beat. Between Rayshon Hammond's, Anthony Edwards, and Tyree Crump, they shot 63% from three. As a team, they shot 43% from, from three-point range and 57% from the field. And what was it, 13 games, 13 minutes into the game, they were shooting 71% from the field. So that's hard to overcome as it was. 
Razorbacks didn't play very good defense. Isaiah Joe did pretty – he did a lot better in the second half. But overall, this is one of the worst defensive games that I've seen all season. Yeah, I think Arkansas, I think Arkansas they, they didn't shoot very well. But Georgia, I think they started 16 of 21 and finished the game 4 of 15. So Arkansas really uh, trimmed it up in the second half. And, and Arkansas, man, it seems like every time they have to make a big comeback, they get within two points and then they just – you know, they lose it. They they lose their confidence or, or they, they take a bad shot and there it goes in Georgia. I mean, they, they Arkansas turned it over and on a lead out dunk. And basically that's with a minute and a half left to go in the game, that's really what Arkansas that was the that was the nail in the Arkansas coffin last night. Do you think this loss against Georgia, that ninety nine eighty nine loss at Stegman Coliseum, do you think that that Arkansas makes the NCAA tournament. Do you think it? Uh, do you think they still have a shot, or you, do you think they're out? Mathematically, they do have a shot. Now, do I think it's going to happen Absolutely. at this point? No, I don't. Uh, I I had said last week on the last pod that Ty and I did that they would go to beat Georgia, they would beat LSU, lose to A and M, and then I think that they would still. I still think at this point that they could still an SEC tournament game, but unless they win the SEC tournament, or at least maybe get to the semifinals at the very least. I think it's it's pretty much all but over because you think about Providence getting a win yesterday, Texas. There were some teams that Arkansas really needed to lose that that came out with a victory. NC State was another one. Now, Tennessee beating Florida, that did help. Had they would have beaten Georgia, the Tennessee win over Florida would have really helped out a lot. And, of course, the TCU win over Baylor, that was a really big one too. But that it's, was shocking. Yeah, it really was, and, and they're just hanging on by a thread. So I'm not – I've said time and time again – that I'm not going to count an Eric Musselman team out if there is any kind of chance that they will be able to make the tournament. But I, I personally just don't really see it happening, but I'm not going to say it's impossible because mathematically, of course, it isn't. Yeah, and this is only, I think, the second or third loss Arkansas has had this season by double digits. And I don't, and if you think about it, if Arkansas didn't surrender that 14 nut the shellacking uh, early in the ballgame, that was really the difference because Arkansas used all their energy to get there. But the effort's still there. The energy's still there. Uh, guys came out with confidence in the second half and really trimmed Georgia's lead down possession after possession after possession. Uh, that's just one thing. And, and and it's just funny to see how Eric Musselman uses his timeouts, wouldn't you say? I, I would say so. And I, I was really shocked that, that he used the amount. Of course, you had to with the runs that Georgia was going on. He's been very vocal about how he just really doesn't like to take them. Uh, I mean, at the beginning of the season, what was it? I think maybe six or seven games in, he hadn't even taken one yet. Right. So it is it is kind of crazy how that happens. But it was it was just I, I will say Desi Sill was Desi Sills was someone that really kept us in it. Him and Isaiah Joe and and with his final. 10 points right there before the half you get a big game from Ethan Henderson against Tennessee and he was nowhere to be seen only got six minutes but in those six minutes almost was one foul away from from fouling out and yeah so that happened and Mason Jones of course didn't get a single bucket he just got four free throws for the for his four points in the first half but really took off in the second as we've seen him do so many times but yeah you like you said we yeah talking about the effort it is a moral victory but the fact of the matter is is this team outside of the Tennessee game really has been in every single game that they have played this year and that's just not something that we expected no and really 
the way this team has come out and played. I mean, this is still a Mike Anderson team with the addition of Jimmy Witt. And the guys, the, the guys that he has molded into what he's wanted. I mean, he's taken what he had. This is not a the same kind of team that he won with at Nevada. I mean, he's basically doing what he did in the first year at Nevada is what he's doing uh, here this year. I mean, if he makes the NIT, I, I, I would take I would take an Eric Musselman coach team over anybody right now, just because Eric Musselman, you can guarantee it that an Eric Musselman coach team will never be out of a single ball game, and he may I guarantee you he will win an SEC coach of the year before he ever leaves Arkansas if he does. Because, I mean, Mason Jones, we knew about him. He, he was a uh, two-time 30-point scorer last season. And then he comes and he explodes on the scene. And, I mean, he's hitting 20 a game with ease. And it's kind of like Jimmy Witt there, uh, that, that stretch of about 14 games where he was just clutch from, from mid-range. A lot of Mason Jones' shots are from in the lane. I mean, the way he looks at angles, the way he can contort his body to be able to to look at the basket, the amount of balance that he has. I mean, things that things that you you can't you try to you where where you supplement with your talent, you had to supplement with angles and and supplement it with uh, ways to to game plan around them. The defense has been exceptional uh, outside of uh, the first half of Georgia in that Tennessee game uh, with Van Scovey. I, I really think. Arkansas is in a good place. I think they're one or two players away from really being a contender with this team. And that's shocking. I wouldn't have said that with a Mike Anderson team if he had been retained for a ninth season. I just don't think this team would have been uh, an 18 and 11 team uh, uh, right now. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't either. I, I think the same thing. And I know we both have a lot of respect for Mike. Definitely. Oh, yeah, wish absolutely. Him the best. I know we've talked about that plenty of times. But what you were saying about Mason, I really liked about how you were talking about him driving the lane. He's great at it. In the paint, Georgia, I think it was 22-6 to six that they had points in the paint that, more than Arkansas in the first half. Now, it ended up being 50-30. to 30, But in the second half, Arkansas went toe-to-toe with them a lot of because yep. Mason Jones. And we talked time and time again what he's been able to do this year. And, and Desi's really someone that's picked up his game in February. I know going into the Georgia game, he was shooting 42% from three, which a lot of people were at one point this season were saying he needed to stop shooting him because he was just really off shooting in the, I want to say the high 20s, low 30s. And last night he shot 60%. So he's obviously still in the 40s right now in the last month. So he's a guy that's really picked up his game. Jimmy Witt. I said on on last Friday's episode, his his points might be going down, but his, I wouldn't say his effectiveness is. You think about what he was actually until the the last couple of minutes, he did a pretty decent job guarding Absolutely. Anthony Edwards. Now I know Anthony was really good from three. He ended up having a really good game overall, but defensively, Jimmy is is really good at guarding a lot of the top guards that we've seen in the SEC. So it's just really at this point, yeah, they are one or two players away, but. I really do think – I think that they can steal definitely an SEC game in the tournament, uh, maybe even two. But it, at this point, it's really kind of maybe the NIT really now. And we've I've kind of had that on my mind for a little bit until they were able to beat Tennessee and then they got in the last four out. But it's still a very successful season in my eyes. Absolutely. And you were talking about Desi Seals. What he's been able to do over the last eight games, he had 14 up against Auburn. 12 against Missouri, 11 against Tennessee, 15 against Mississippi State. He had an off game against Florida where he didn't score. 
17 against Missouri, 13 against Tennessee, 21 against Georgia. That's 13 points per game over the last eight, uh, shooting 60% from three last night, 42 in the month of February. That That's a guy stepping up at the right time. And it's like Ben at Hog Hoops says, you just need to stop telling him not to shoot. And it, it's completely true because once that guy gets in the rhythm, he's playing the best basketball of his career, Razorback career right now. And that's something that we uh, uh, really needed. We needed another fourth player uh, to really to really come along. And, and I mentioned it before the podcast, the ability, the skip step that he has to really generate some space between his defender. That's something that he's added to his game. And that's kind of similar to what Dusty Hannis. When Lee Mayberry um, really, I think, wasn't, wasn't it Lee Mayberry that was on the uh, Mike Anderson staff uh, in 2015 or 16? I believe he was on there at one point. I, I want to say, yeah. I, I think he was there one season in the senior season for Dusty. Uh, he had left. If you remember, Dusty Hannes was a three-point shooter while at Texas Tech. The guy averaged about four or five points a game at Texas Tech and was mostly dependent on for three-pointers at, at, at timely, timely spots in games. He comes to Arkansas, sits out one season, and everybody's thinking, oh, he's just going to be a three-point shooter. The guy really, he he made Arkansas, uh, he kept Arkansas in many games. There was a game against Florida where in the SEC tournament, of, I think four years ago, where he had 33 points and Arkansas only scored 50 and almost beat Florida that day. Now, I mean, Dusty Hanna single-handedly kept him. And I really think the development of Dusty Seals is that similar to, to what Dusty, uh, not to the extent of what Dusty did, but Dusty's really come on at the right time. Yeah, and he's really going to need that in the next game because if you, against LSU, if you remember, we were out rebounded. What was it like, fifty-three to twenty-seven in the first game? Yeah. And so we're we're going to need him to come off the bench again. I I, I don't know if he's going to get the start. I wouldn't be surprised with the way that he played, but you would hope that the lineup that they've started the last two games with Ethan Henderson and, and Adriel Bailey as your two bigs starting, that they could get something going. Because if we if we play the way that we did against Georgia. Against it's just going to be another one, and I, I'm still shocked that that was only a two point game against LSU in the first one, just because of the of the amount of times I, I can't even remember how many offensive rebounds they had. That it was just completely atrocious on on the Razorbacks end. It was 23. I just saw that they, it was 23 that LSU had compared to Arkansas's three on the offensive board. So this is one where you're really going to need. And Ethan, Ethan Henderson and Adriel Bailey to be on their game, or maybe even a Reggie Cheney to step up. He's done it a couple of times this year, not many, but this is the one where you're you're really going to need Ethan Henderson to have one of those Dennis Rodman games between 10 and 15 rebounds. He showed against Tennessee that he's capable of pulling down the boards, but this is going to be one that we're definitely going to need that for sure. Yeah, and I don't know what really has happened to Reggie Cheney over the last few games. But the guy really came out and played well uh, the earliest part of the SEC schedule. And we really thought he was turning the corner and that he was becoming what we expected him, uh, expected of him. But now, I mean, he's back on the bench playing two, two or three minutes a game. And it's kind of shocking to me to see that he's fallen back to where he was early on in the season. And I hope he uh, will be able to, to uh, really make a difference uh, in his attitude going down the stretch of the last two games starting with LSU. Yeah, I think with Reggie, it's just mental. If you think yeah. about the, the first time again, speaking of LSU, he 
well, he had the four fouls in like three or four minutes, just and he got jerked real quick. I, I think really with him, it's just one of those things that his head a lot of the season just really hasn't been in the game for whatever reason. He's definitely got plenty of talent. We've seen it, but we still have not had a big man consistently step up. You've seen flashes with Henderson. You've seen flashes with Bailey. Just about all of them really outside of Gene Talsilla, which that's one that I've been really disappointed in. But yeah, we we are. This is the game. Uh, if we if we've need, ever needed one, that they're gonna have they're gonna have to have at least one or two big men step up. Yeah. So uh, going on to hog baseball, I think we've I think we've talked about one loss too much. Let's talk about another loss and the impact of what the baseball team did uh, in their comeback loss uh, of eight to seven against the Longhorns last night. What does that show you, Kyle? What do you what do you think about that baseball team? I some people might not like this, but I'll I'll just tell it like I like I see it. I feel that coming back from being that much down, being eight runs down and scoring seven runs, not allowing another run after the second inning for Texas, that I'm more impressed with that than I am scoring eight runs in two innings. Now, at the end of the day, Texas did get the win. That's what counts the most. But man, we're nine games into the season. And yeah. you think about 2016. This is the one that comes to mind first. They go they go out to this tournament, which I think at that time was called the Houston Classic before it turned to the the Shriners. They play three games that weekend. They start the season off eight and zero. We're thinking, oh man, this is they're coming off a 2015 World Series appearance, and they get into conference play. They lose their final 13 games in a row. End up being the worst team in the SEC that year. It's not it's not a big deal right now. It's an, it's early in the season, and that right there from the 2016. If there's anything that we learned, we got excited really quick. We thought it was going to maybe be another Omaha run. There is a lot of things that they're trying to figure out right now. As great as Robert Moore has been, he's still going to have a couple of struggles here and there, like he did last night. And Casey Martin, I really don't know what's going on with him. As I said, we're recording this right before the Baylor game, and it's it's not been official yet, but it seems like he is going to sit out. But there's just a lot of things that they've got to figure out. And we have to also accept the fact that as as talented as Connor Nolan and Patrick Wicklander are, now Wicklander clearly didn't have his stuff against Texas, but we can't expect our Friday night ace to be what Blaine Knight was, to be what Isaiah Campbell was. It's not very often that you have – two pitchers go in back-to-back years as your Friday night ace go 26 and one, I believe was their was their combined records in two seasons. And we're, we have a very talented roster, very, very talented, especially in the batting order. We've still got a lot of things to figure out at pitching though. And don't even come close to hitting the panic button yet. I think that people are just, that's going to happen where you start freaking out when stuff like this goes on. But there is a lot of season left. It's only the beginning of March at this point. Yeah, and and only being nine games in, you'd rather have your losses early than have them late. And Arkansas generally hasn't played their best ball until until May or June, and and their bats come alive in the super regionals. They couldn't get a hit in the College World Series. It happens. It's pitching and defense, and and that's the part of the game in baseball. And if your pitch is not there, you better hope your bats are. And and Arkansas right now, when with the comeback they've had in the last two games, it's shown us, yeah, they can get timely hits. But that comeback last night was absolutely incredible. I mean, they came back from down eight to nothing after the second inning 
and came back and almost won the ball game and they stranded a runner at second and Arkansas was one hit away likely from winning that game. Yeah, they were inches away. Goodhart, if that would have been in bomb or not been in an MLB stadium, that would have been a home run and it would have tied it up. That was great hitting that we were able to do with Kerstad and Goodhart. You look at everybody that, that really had a of course. I know Gregory had a hit as well. Opitz had another really good game at the plate. But I, I want to point out Caleb Bolden, what he was able to do yes. in the four innings. Patrick Wicklander was really struggling. Marshall Denton struggled in the inning that he pitched. Jacob Burton did good at the end. Now, he had a couple of scares. He walked two guys, and it's looking it was looking like he might give up another run. But Caleb Bolden coming off that Tommy John surgery. Keep in mind, I had mentioned after the Eastern Illinois series on the pod a couple of weeks ago that he was projected as a possible weekend starter last year before he had gone down with the injury. I think he's made a case for himself so far this year. He's had three appearances, and let's just take a look and see what Cole Ramage is able to do against Baylor. But against Illinois State on Tuesday, I would not be shocked if he possibly does get the start. Yeah. He's really shown us a lot, and he was he pitched for three innings against Eastern Illinois, didn't give up a single run. I don't I don't know if he even gave up a hit, but did really really well in that one. But I think he he showed a lot with what he was able to do, striking out five. That was a game high for the Razorbacks. And the Razorbacks had as many hits as Texas did. They had, obviously, one less run, one less RBI, or actually one more RBI, walked the same amount of time. So a lot of the stats, are they line up excluding pitching. But it was just two great innings for Texas, and it really it, I think it was more bad innings for Arkansas than it was great for Texas. But again, we can sit here and talk about it and I can I can sunshine pump all I can for Arkansas, but Texas got the win and it was as tough as it was to swallow, that was an amazing comeback that the the rally that the Razorbacks had. Yeah. That'll do it for the first segment of the Hog Talk Podcast, episode number seventy one. Stay tuned in as the second segment of the show has Porter Hayes interviewing Jordan Weaver the head gymnastics coach of the University of Arkansas. Oh, man, you don't want to miss this. Welcome by the coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks gymnastics team, Jordan Weaver. appreciate you being on. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So really what I want to start off with, just talk about your journey here, you know, the, the hiring process. You know, did, you know, did Hunter Yurchek reach out to you, or was you interested in the job? And what was it like your first year at Arkansas? Yeah, so last year I was um, coaching at UCLA. I was finishing up our season there. Um, and it was also uh, the head coach of UCLA, Miss uh, Val. It was her last year coaching before she retired. Um, so we were finishing up the season and kind of heard some, um, kind of through the gymnastics grapevine that Mark Cook would be retiring and the Arkansas job would be opening up. And um, kind of perked up a little bit. And then not too long after that, um, I heard from Hunter and just saying he was interested in, you know, getting to know me and talking with me about the job. And, um, you know, beyond that, it was, uh, just some interviewing and just getting to know both Hunter and our sport administrator, Chris Pohl, and, um, them getting to know me. Um, and, you know, I appreciate, the whole process and, and everything they did to get to know me because, you know, they did take a big risk on a, at the time, 23 year old. And, um, but at the same time, you know, I had learned so much from Miss Val working with her at UCLA and actually made the conscious choice 
to remain a volunteer assistant coach there um, because I knew I was going to learn so much from her in her last few years coaching. Um, although I could have gone and gotten, you know, probably an assistant coaching job somewhere else. Um, but I chose to be a volunteer there and so grateful for that experience. And it really, I feel prepared me to, to be a head coach and to take on that challenge and um, with her mentorship. So the process was, you know, pretty fast. It was very exciting um, in Arkansas. It was just so welcoming. Um, and, you know, just the, the way they, they brought me out for the press conference and did the whole social media um, announcement was just amazing. And, and that to me was really the first sign that, okay, we've got a great team here of people that are willing to make gymnastics a big deal and um, create something awesome here on top of what, is, what, have, what has already been created by Mark Cook, who, who started this program and has built it to where it is now. So, so grateful for the experience and um, the opportunity that I have here at Arkansas now. Well, we're, I'm, I'm sure the fans here at Arkansas are happy to have you. And, and for those fans that aren't familiar with gymnastics, you know, and those trying to just up and coming and trying to follow the team, kind of explain the, the scoring and, and the judges and how they critique every little thing that, that what they don't see with their eyes, what are the judges looking at when they're scoring an event? Yeah, so just to make it um... – make it simple for people that don't know gymnastics well we have four events in gymnastics vault bars beam and floor and what we do in college gymnastics is we take our our top six best people on each of those events and we compete six routines and then the lowest score gets dropped and so we have our top five scores from our team um, competition count towards our team score um and so each each individual athlete is going up performing their own routine there's a certain uh, amount of requirements that they have to fulfill in order to start from a from a 10-0 start value. Um, so if they get all their requirements, they start from a 10. And what the judges are looking for um, are any execution errors, like bent knees or flex feet or wobbles or um, anything like that that uh, is not executed perfectly. They're deducting from that 10-0 start value and down. So um, what we're really looking for are, are scores above a 9.85, um, hopefully in that 9.9 and above range. That's that's really the goal. Every time we have an athlete go up, we hope they can score at least a 9.85 or or higher. Um, and it's, it's a very kind of complex uh, sport, and there's a lot of you know judging and and you know it's it's really a subjective sport. So the scores are in the hands of the judges, uh, but they they follow a code of points that they're they're supposed to judge um, consistently with. Um, you know that doesn't always happen, just like any sport, but um, you know, we, it's, it's fun. It's just, you know, every single piece of gymnastics is like a piece of a puzzle and it's fun, you know, coaching and trying to figure out how to get all the pieces of the puzzle to fit together. Yeah. Kind of following up with that, you know, being one of those few sports that, you know, you don't, you're not based off a scoring system, like the, the players, you know, how hard is that for like you as a coach to know that the fate of what you think your, your team does now it's in the fate of, how many ever judges are on that, that board? And, you know, it's, it's really a learning process for us as coaches. Um, we we kind of have a good idea of, of what judges will see and what they will deduct for. Um, and that's why we have the code of points that the judges are supposed to follow. You know, if they, if they wobble a small amount, it's supposed to be a half-tenth deduction. If they have a bigger wobble, it's supposed to be a full-tenth deduction. So what we really try to do is, um, is teach the athletes, you know, how, how much they're getting deducted and why they're getting deducted. Uh, certain things and really educate them so they they have a little bit more um, knowledge about you know their routines and their execution and and all the technique of their skills so 
Um, we usually can fit, can guess what the what the judges are going to judge um, and what they're going to deduct for, and that really helps us educate our team and um, get them a little more, more bought into some of the corrections we're giving them and adjustments we're trying to get them to make. So it's almost like not, not having a scouting report on another team. You have a scouting report on that other judge on what, what they look for <laughs> opposed to what somebody else does. Sort of, sort of, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, the, the attendance this year at, at Barnhill has been amazing. And how has that impacted your team and, and you coaching mm-hmm. for a lot of people who are not used to that many people attending, you know, the gymnastics mates? Yeah. Well, growing the attendance was was one of my goals this year among, you know, obviously the goals we have for our team and, and what we want them to accomplish. But another one of our goals was to, to grow the attendance in Barnhill. And we've talked a lot about growing it so much to the point where we have to compete over in Bud Walton. And that's kind of the dream. That's what we're hoping to do in the next couple of years or so is, um, is get a consistent sellout crowd so that we can, we can move over and, and compete in that, in that Bud Walton arena. So, um, but for our team, it, it's so helpful. We, we actually moved the equipment set up around uh, from what it used to be in order to tailor it a little bit more to the audience. And I think the audience is really feeding off of that and they're really enjoying it. We actually, the floor used to be right in the middle. We moved it um, over and closer to the student section. So every athlete's floor routine is choreographed in certain parts to engage the student section. Um, and we've gotten the whole student section up on their feet and um, kind of dancing along and clapping. And I really think it's created this amazing environment every single time we compete in there. And it's making people want to come back. And that's, that's kind of our goal is um, create an experience and create an event and entertainment that makes people want to come back um, and tell other people, you know, you have to go watch this gymnastics meet. It's so much fun. And I feel like for the audience, when they feel a part of it, when they feel engaged with what's going on out on the floor, um, they're more likely to want to come back. And it really helps our team. The energy from the student section, they feed off of it. It, it helps them uh, perform even bigger and better. So I want to talk about, you know, your, your, rise and your your hashtag and what's your I guess your your motto for your team and, and what does that mean to you and, and the team yeah rise has kind of been um, an evolving theme I would say I, I sort of came up with it last summer when I first got here and um, I was getting to know the team and and coaching them a little bit during their volunteer workouts in the summer and you know I found myself saying you know this is a team that's on the rise this is a team that has every bit of talent potential every every single piece of the puzzle they need in order to be a great team um and they're really on the rise and so I kept finding myself say that and I really wanted to come up with a theme for the year that the team could could latch on to um and it could carry us through you know the long long season that we have um and so what I did was I took rise and I separated the letters out and created an acronym and it stands for uh, ready, ignite, sizzle, and explode. And each of those words is a different segment of our season. Um, so the first segment was ready, and that was sort of our preseason where, you know, the girls are conditioning hard. They're they're kind of getting ready to build up to full routines and gathering all the supplies they need and all the tools that they need, all the skills they need to, or to, to be the team they want to be during the competitive season and so on and so forth. Each phase is a different segment. Um, of our season. So right now we're in the S segment stands for sizzle. And that's, you know, sort of the beginning of our competitive season, just going out in every competition and really sizzling and showing the other teams and showing the world what this team is capable of doing. Um, 
I, I love having a theme. I think it's so useful for the athletes. Um, they've really latched onto it. And, you know, we have these big letters up on the wall in our gym that say R-I-S-E. And we've found a way to make each phase meaningful, make it mean something to the athletes and to the team. And we're about ready to enter the last phase, which is explode. Um, and that kind of encompasses the, the, the postseason part of our year. And um, it's just been really fun to, to have that theme kind of evolve throughout the year. Yeah, and talking about the the explode, you know, you had recently had your your women's empowerment meet, and I believe that uh, if I'm correct, it was the first one in the in the country of its kind, and mm-hmm. it really sparked the paved the way, and you there was so much feedback. I've seen so many Twitter videos of people, you know, who paved the way for them, and really it moved me to honestly want to get you on and, and spread that word, you know, pave mm-hmm. the way for yourself and your teammates and other people from all over the country. And kind of talk about the impact that, that the success of that mm-hmm. empowerment meet and then pave the way did for you. Yeah. yeah. When we were thinking about the themes for our home meets, uh, we love to have themes and, you know, for me, I think uh, we've got such an amazing platform with what we do. Um, you know, we get to put on these events, for our home fans and we get to choose a theme and I wanted it. I wanted a theme that, that was bigger than just gymnastics. So it, it meant more to our athletes. It meant more to the crowd. Um, and then we use gymnastics as a way of celebrating whatever that theme is. And so I've had a lot of amazing, um, empowering women um, in my life who have helped me along the way. They've helped me become the person that I am. Um, and I know each of our athletes on our team have those people as well. And so each of those athletes chose one of one one of the empowering women in their life, and they wore that person's name on the back of their shirt. I kind of um, stole that idea from the women's national soccer team. They they had a game. Um, I don't remember the, what they called theirs, but um, they did a similar thing where they wore someone's name on the back of their jersey. And so, um, as much as we could, we wanted to engage the community in this and just create an event that celebrates amazing, courageous, strong women because I feel like we don't do that enough um and we we all have those women in our lives and we need to celebrate them you know more than we we typically do and so it was such an incredible event you know the competition um regardless of the result we didn't have our best meet but I left that arena just feeling so proud of what we did that day to honor those women and it was impactful and and you know what we're gonna we're gonna repeat that theme every single year make it bigger and better and and more meaningful Yeah, definitely. And, you know, Arkansas, you know, as a whole is so blessed to have a lot of the women's programs being so successful. And, you know, you have the the women's basketball team and the softball team, track and field, you know, the gymnastics, you know, all these ranked teams, golf, you know, what is with, you know, all the attention basically going to the football and and, and the baseball and, and the men's sports, you know, what in what can we do in the media to really help bring more awareness to, to the women's sports and in, in your opinion? Yeah, I think, um, you know, you just kind of said it, just creating awareness of the fact that we've got some amazing women's sports on our campus, you know, look at women's track and field across country. They're winning national championships year after year. Um, and then we've got some other empowering, awesome female head coaches of, you know, our softball team, Courtney Dyfel, our golf team, Shauna, it's, you know, there's just some awesome things going on around campus. And I know, I love the way people get so excited for 
um, basketball and football, and that's so deeply ingrained in our sports culture here. Um, but, you know, my goal, and, and, and I think the other uh, female head coaches as well, is just to create more awareness of what, you know, these amazing athletes are doing. You know, our girls are flipping on a four-inch piece of wood that is four feet off of the ground, and they're swinging on the bars and just doing kind of superhuman things. And um, that's exactly what, you know, other sports are doing as well. And the more people we can get excited and aware of what's going on and getting them to our events, um, I think the more awareness we're going to create around some of the awesome things that women are doing on our campus. Well, I, I definitely think you're you're starting off in the right track. And, and a lot of people, you know, first year they come on, they're just trying to get their feet wet and try to, you know, get used to the culture around Arkansas. And I think I want to be the kind of the first to say, I think you're setting your own culture here at Arkansas and with the women's empowerment and then trying to connect with your, your team and the movement that you're creating. I, you're, you're being noticed in more ways than you probably think. And it, the words getting around, I mean, especially with the meet and how many people wanted to share, you know, who paved the way for them and, I really do appreciate you you being on and taking the time and you know we'll certainly do the best we can to you know help bring more awareness to the women's sport and the women's game and the the women's coaches and so I really appreciate you you coming on and spending time of your day with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is this is great. Yes, thank you so much and I believe you have if you want to talk about the rest of your season coming up and and then when the sec tournament is yeah so we've got uh, two more meets left um in our regular season we're away at texas women's this weekend and then next week we have our our last home meet in barnhill arena march 13th um it's a friday night and it's we're going to honor our our two seniors that we have graduating this year so um we're excited to have one more celebration in Barnhill and we want to get as many people out there as we possibly can you know we broke the attendance record the first meet and I'm hoping we can break that attendance record at our last meet so um we're really going to try to get the word out and get people there to spend their Friday night with us and um and then we're excited about that and then the following week after that we've got the SEC championships in Georgia um so we're gearing up for kind of the last little part of our season and we're excited to see what the team can accomplish in the last few meets well, Coach, good good luck to you the, the rest of the way in the SEC championships and hopefully the NCAA championships. And again, thank you for, for being on. As for me, Porter Hayes, and the rest of the Hog Talk crew, that will be all for this episode of the Hog Talk podcast. Whoop it. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.